0: This episode of The Policy is sponsored by our friends at Forza Cliente. Now, Forza Cliente provides a bespoke service to meet your exact requirements for buying or selling the finest supercars and hypercars. And I cannot emphasise that enough. They really are the finest. Uh, we all know how painful it can be selling cars. I hate it, personally. It's my least favourite activity in the world. Yes. I'd rather eat glass yes. than sell cars. Uh, equally, I also know how painful it can be to buy cars, because, of course, if you Somebody privately selling it, do they ever reply to your messages? No. If it's in a showroom, will the showroom ever reply to your messages? No. Will phone calls ever back ever happen? No. Forza Cliente basically have set up their own business with one simple objective, and it's to deliver the best dealer experience for buyers and sellers. Simple as that. The website is forzaclienty.com. Don't worry about that spelling. If you're not sure, scroll down to the show notes. There's a link there in the show notes that will take you directly through to the website where you'll be able to see the cars. And perhaps you've got that car, that supercar, that hypercar that you're either looking to sell or looking to trade. Forza Cliente are the people to go and talk to. They are sponsoring us certainly for the next few weeks very kindly. Love the fact that we've got them aboard. love the fact that we've got an automotive company on board. And um, yeah, also we'll link in with them on our social feed. So if you go onto our Instagram page, you will see their sponsored by Forza Cliente, in the bio. So you'll be able to click there, go straight through to their profile and just drool away at beautiful cars.
2: Hi, I'm Ben Smith and I run a business called String Theory Garage, I'm focusing on chassis setup, but general tuning of vehicles.
1: The Driven Chat Podcast. Powered by Paramex Digital.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast. My name is John Markar. And my name's Miles Lacey. Hey, in sync. It's like we're on the One Show or something. Yeah. Now this week, as you have just heard from our little introduction, we are joined by Ben broke the founder and general big boss i don't know if we go with titles like md or ceo it all sounds a bit too official doesn't it boss man boss man the boss man (laughs) of string theory garage um string theory garage as you may already be aware is a workshop that specializes in making cars handle brilliantly but not exclusively that there's lots more to it that i have a feeling we will get through in this conversation uh within your cv ben it's been quite busy you have been uh, a european drift champion in 2008 you have worked for various racing teams uh, you have been a precision driver in the world of film and television uh, am i missing anything uh I, I had a business for a few years doing electronic repairs on...
2: <laughs> we are yeah i was leaving it to the exciting stuff but that counts that yeah, counts yeah.
0: uh uh I should have you missed anything? I don't know. I should also probably mention if you are listening in real time, i.e., in within the first couple of weeks of this episode coming out, you may have seen Ben on a particular YouTube video featuring Mr. JWW, because one of the things that you do here, amongst many other things, is you have a particular focus on a small Toyota product, uh, making them even better than they are out of the factory. So people might have seen you on a little video with Mr. JWW, which again is a man that we all know. I know him all too well, and you know him all too well. From a weird way, yeah. Yeah. Somehow we all know him in in a different way, but from a weird way. Uh, But before we start, Ben, one of the questions that I always like to ask uh, to kind of build up a picture of your world of cars and what's got to where you are now is, do you have a core memory as far back as you can possibly think that might be the moment, or it could be a series of moments, that l- turned on the little light bulb that has ultimately led you to the seat you're sat in now.
2: Yeah, I literally do, actually. Perfect. I have an actual moment of car awakening. My parents my parents will tell you earlier, so I'll tell you both. The, the conscious one that I remember was my... This is, it's actually kind of sad... It was my grandfather's funeral. Okay. And I don't see that side of my family all the time. Yeah. And my cousin Toby, who was doing quite well selling ships at the time, had a brand new, as in it was that year brand new, 1993
0: 3 M M3. Oh, <laughs> baby. So, the what very first of an E36. Yeah.
2: And I remember my dad trying to explain to me what the M badge meant. It was like motorsport. It was the racing Fair one. Nice. Like we'd watched on touring cars on TV. And I guess Dad asked Toby if he'd take me back to my my uncle's house yeah. uh, from the funeral in that car. And I remember that... Okay, so it wasn't as fast as all these other cars. However, for my personal experience as a child of that age, the only time I ever felt anything faster that seemed faster was uh, the first time I went in a Bugatti Chiron.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else, as far as my memory is concerned, yeah, yeah.
2: was faster until then. Sure. I, remember, I remember sitting in the car and I remember Toby opening the sunroof uh, and then talking about whether they should have the air conditioning on or the sunroof open. I remember, like, it was an Avis Blue 3 litre M3. I remember everything about it. And that was,
3: that I've woken
2: it? up and I like cars. If you talk to my parents, <laughs> my grandmother on the other side had an orange Allegro. And, <laughs> oh, God. And, and I used to spot granny car from like a million miles away. There'd be a speck on the horizon. And Tiny me would be saying "granny car" and getting excited, and and like thirty seconds later, an orange Allegro would come over the horizon and be visible. Wow. Um, so it seems that I've been a car car guy since the beginning. Amazing.
4: It would seem that way, I, I, and I feel like the coolest story to tell probably is the one with the M three <laughs> <laughs> and not the Allegro. <laughs> Nothing against Allegros, but come on.
2: Yeah, I know, but it was a distinctive thing, wasn't it? I mean, even in. I mean, that would have been like 1987, I guess, because I'm 37. So that probably probably starting to say things like Gany car would have been when I was like two, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, still, it's kind of cool that I was identifying this, probably even unusual then, orange Allegro as like, that's her car. Amazing. But accurately, that's the difference. It yeah. wasn't like I'd just say it randomly. Apparently, I would spot an orange Allegro from a million miles away.
0: So, yeah allegros and m3s and look at us now (laughs) well yeah
2: so i yeah followed followed on with my love of british Leyland products
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we're now sat in your little one of your little office spaces here at string theory i want to mention as well um the fact that there are quite a few interesting cars here and obviously the the business and what you do now today it caters for all sorts of interesting things so it's always a bit of a potluck turning up to a workshop like this, knowing what you're going to see. But to list through the cars that I've seen here today, we've got a Mercedes SL, which I'm struggling to put a year on. It's a 190 SL. Oh, is it a 190 SL? Yeah. So I don't know what year it is. Actually. 70s?
2: No, they're older than that. Oh, okay. It's 50s or 60s, isn't it?
0: Look,
4: right. it, look, it doesn't matter.
0: It looks so a doctor. Yeah, 50s or 60s SL. We've got a Mark III MX-5. There was a Golf R Mark Eight. There's a Mazda RX-7 FD. There's a 993 Porsche RS. 911 RS. There is a 996 Porsche Turbo. And there is a GR Yaris.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Pretty, uh, pretty eclectic mix of cars. Yeah.
2: Don't forget don't forget my P thirty eight Range Rover. Oh gosh, yes. How could we forget that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I think my customers and myself all like cars. It yeah. doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be the latest, greatest, exotica. Like I think I, I run a business that seems to attract quite like minded people who just like cars. Even even some of my uh, yeah, wealthiest with the most exotic cars, will turn up and get excited about the crappiest things. <laughs> That's no way to talk about my three
1: series. <laughs> How dare you?
2: You, a love lovely three series. <laughs> thank my, you, thank you. My my wife has a similar three series, probably with a smaller
0: engine. And we'll go into the depths of the the kind of the way that your brain works in making <laughs> cars brilliant. But I think it's it's important we preface at the beginning the ultimately the. The purpose of String Theory, or the initial purpose of String Theory, was a company that would make cars handle better through suspension and geometry. That is your kind of wizarding skill set, isn't it? Somebody can come to you with a car that should, and perhaps could, out of the box, be a brilliant handling car, and you will unlock further potential in that car and make it even better.
1: Yeah,
2: or even, it's not always that complex sometimes it's just having the attention to detail to make it how it should be because mm-hmm. quite often you go and buy a nice new car from a manufacturer and it won't be quite how it should be or you buy a car that's 10 years old that's been through you know a few owners hands you literally have no idea what's happened in that time someone could have gone to do brake discs on a car and taken apart more than they should and cocked the geometry up on yeah. it and so sometimes it's sometimes it's it's as advanced as you know um, having to work out some, some magic and make, make something work that, that didn't work before and sometimes it's literally uh, my brand new Ferrari drives like rubbish oh. um, let's make my brand new Ferrari drive like a brand new Ferrari should drive I don't want to do anything else and actually just some attention to detail gets you that goal With and it's amazing actually how without any magic just with a bit of understanding and 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 Time, uh, you can achieve something which you'd have thought anyone, anywhere you know you take your car to get aligned at quick fit and you think well but they're using the latest equipment mm. to, and look at the base it's so shiny and nice and it should they should do a good job so, so much can go wrong
4: with that though right? yeah
2: it just boils down to people not really caring I think yeah. and you see that in all businesses yeah. I feel like everywhere around me in the world where I look now I just see people who don't really care Yes. Um, and I think that unfortunately, if you're purely business minded, you can make an awful lot of money doing a business where you don't really care. And you just kind of work out the formula for doing the most for the least effort. Mm-hmm. But as a, as a consumer, you end up going away. Going, how is this? How has this happened? Yeah. 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 I
4: think it's a great point you make. And actually, in the field that you operate in now, I think a lot of people like to think that they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and maybe even make a concerted effort. But as you well know, through your experience, you might make one change here yep. that's seemingly good, but then the, the 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 knock-on effect of that is so many other things that
2: are actually worse. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's something that's really important to understand when it comes to not doing a wheel alignment or corner weighting a car or whatever. But when you when you're supplying parts, um, I think that uh, the magic that makes the Porsche GT car or the BMW M car or whatever is actually they don't do that much Mm -hmm. so they pick their compromises and they try and draw a fine line of i i feel like you 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 can see there's a a definite goal set out where it's like here's the compromises we're going to work to and we need to stay within that rule set and optimize within it um i i said the other day on 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 another thing um it's very easy to like rip the interior out of a car and chop it to bits and Put massive tires on it and huge wings and and put a giant engine in that has a thousand horsepower and say it's really fast now. Mm. But like, if you threw the keys to your mum and said, "Do you want to drive that to the shops, mum?" <laughs> She'd get into like a fighter jet with switches everywhere. <laughs> yeah. and, go, uh, uh, and so I think that that actually takes less less thought and less skill than just making something that's refined. Yeah. So.
4: I want to go. I want to go to the most basic element of what you do here, just to try and spell it out for people that maybe have, maybe they've entertained the idea of having their car looked at or tuned or fettled with or something like that. Well, why why would they do that? Why why would they bring their already in you know in their eyes perfect car? Mm -hmm. Why would they maybe bring it to somebody like you to have some attention?
2: Uh, So uh, I think. The, the base level of what we do could be just called a wheel alignment, right? Mm-hmm. So we're doing a wheel alignment. Now, if you just take the base level product of a wheel alignment, if you're a main dealer or a manufacturer and you're putting a value of whatever you put on a wheel alignment, then you will encourage your technicians, whether it's manufacturing the car or Doing it post, you know, when it's in the dealer, to do it as quickly as possible. Yes. Because uh, every dealer works like that. Most normal garages work like that, where you have your auto data book that says it will take eight hours, and so if the technician does it in four hours, you charge eight hours of labour. You make more money. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't work well when you're dealing with even the the best alignment machines are a bit finicky and do some calculations where you kind of need a bit of patience. To, to re-go through things and make sure they're okay. It doesn't work well with that. It doesn't work well with, oh, there's this adjuster buried up behind the car's under tray and I've got to really struggle to do it. So you end up with cars where they might be within manufacturer's tolerance or close to, but at the point, the nanosecond that that car hits the edge of manufacturer's tolerance, it? it's out the door. yeah And <laughs> yeah. the next one comes in yeah. and so... Even if you're just bringing your Clio with like two adjustment points in for a a wheel alignment, um, I'll spend more time, or my technician will spend all the time that's required to make those two adjustment points perfect. Mm -hmm. And then if you think your car is perfect, yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, sometimes we see cars that are perfect. And then normally you'll turn around and go, okay, so what do you and don't you like about the car? And we'll try and make it different. So, like, if you get a car that comes in and is exactly uh, uh, Porsches, well, actually, no. Let's go for a better example. Um, uh, let's say, let's say your Defender. Ooh. You get one in, and it is exactly manufacturer specifications, yeah. and it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And I said to you, "Well, what don't you like about it?" You might turn around to me and say, oh, "I don't know. It's a bit wondery on the motorway, actually." Um, is there anything to do about that and it I is actually a bit right? there, you well, go. <laughs> there you go and, and I could turn around and say well do you mind if you have a little bit less tyre life mm. to which you may or may not care and then we could put a bit of a toe change into it to make it more stable which might limit tyre life by you know 2% or 5% or I don't know there's no point in lying and saying yeah, I don't yeah. know but my point is that there's always there's always some scope if there's anything about your car that you kind of question then then it's worth doing. I mean, uh, the, the, even if it's just peace of mind, Yes. even if you're like, I think my car is perfect. But I don't really know. Um, if I, I mean, how cool would it be if I, if I told you I was going to charge you, you know, 500 quid to corner balance and set up and do everything. And we put it on the ramp and it was perfect. And I was like, well, it's taking me an hour to set everything up. Double charge you that and off you go. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that is me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, into profiteering in that in that regard if something's fine then it's fine but more often than not people are here because there's
0: something they don't like about their car to pick up so to like continue on from your question marks, because i think this is one that i often hear when i talk about you and your business and what you do yeah. there's a lot of confusion as to why it's necessary especially when we see some of the cars that roll in here we you know i've been here and seen brand spanking new gt3911s three yeah. which have ultimately come straight out of the factory they'll have a few miles on the clock where the customer has taken it from the showroom, they've taken it home, they've maybe enjoyed it for one weekend, and then it comes here, and you think, yeah. well, that's a brand new GT3. Surely it's perfect out of the box. But the reality is, they can always be better, can't they?
2: It's not just that. I mean, we've we've had cars come... I've had, most recently, a 992 Turbo S that the customer hadn't touched before he mm. came here. Yeah. He hadn't seen it. He had the plastic still on it. But... Um, he wanted to drive nicer because he knows those cars and he knows that it won't be to his focus and he wanted to maybe do the odd track day. Mm. So he came here straight away and got tweaked because he knew, as anyone knows, that that product is not the Porsche track day product and yeah, therefore correct. if he wants it to be a bit more track day, he'll get it done straight away. Mm. Um, yeah, the the why question is is fair, but the uh, really the original thing of... Uh, dealers and manufacturers are on time deadlines and won't send something out perfect, is the answer. Yeah, and some of these cars, when they become so, uh, uh Defender is a good example. Again, that car could be all over the place and you probably wouldn't notice mm. because it's quite forgiving, it's a big, soft thing, and whether it's perfect or imperfect, you'll just drive it. Yeah, how sensitive do you think a uh, Ferrari SF90 on? cup twos mm. is or or you know probably trofeo r's or whatever mm. by comparison uh with its, it's all the stuff that's going on big wide tires super fast steering um peaky power delivery like ha- that's a really sensitive car yes so uh it's naive to think they'll all come out exactly the same of and course, exactly yeah. perfect because they just don't
0: budget on that no um which is amazing, really, isn't it, when you think about it? it is, things, you'd, yeah. al- you'd automatically think, if I was going to Ferrari or I was going to Porsche and buy the products, it should be absolutely perfect. But the reality is, it rarely is. Yeah, <laughs> I it? mean, but but it
2: it can't be, really, because it will take me, um, I don't know. So so if I do a car that we do really regularly, uh, which would be like a 718 GT4, mm-hmm. and we do what we call our stage one setup, that can, where we play with the anti-roll bars and bits and bobs, uh, that isn't, an, an, we, we quote like a long half day. So typically it'll be 9.30, you start on it, lunchtime you finish on it, but it might be a bit later.
1: Right.
2: Uh, how do you think any manufacturer or dealer, how do you think a manufacturer would react if, if I don't know, h- how many GT4s are made? I've literally no concept, no, but it's thousands. Know. Yeah, it's yeah. thousands. So if if it was thousands of half days yeah. to get the car right Yeah, how, yeah, that's you, true. There aren't that many half days, no, in the world, in order to get those cars done. They're done way quicker than that. Yeah. So they're not going to be absolutely perfect. I think it's an interesting point that you make
4: because there's kind of there's almost two avenues you can go. You like you say something like a defender. Somebody is not, you know, we could be wrong. Somebody is not necessarily going to bring a defender to you and say, I want it to have, I want it to have better turning. I want to have yeah. perfor- like performance attributes. Yeah it's probably gonna be more drivability attributes. Yeah. Whereas somebody who brings you something like you said, Cayman GT4, or a sort of performance car, the likelihood is they are gonna to want to get an uplift on where it is currently.
2: Yes. And quite often people will have done what you say but a bit a bit more. They might have done a couple of track days or driven it for a year or something and they'll be like, right, I know my car now. I want it right. Mm-hmm. I mean I kind of would argue that if you buy any car and you want to enjoy it, even if you regard this as, like, modifying your car, I feel it's worth getting it done to make it as it's supposed to be from the factory. Mm-hmm. We had a customer with a 488 Pista Spider, which was brand new. He bought it new. Ri-
4: I drove one of those uh, two years ago at Donington, and it scared the life out of me. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it shouldn't do. It, it's it, so fast. So, so this was literally why he bought it here. <laughs> Because, like you put your foot down over a cat sight and it changed lane. Yeah, it would be like bosh across the across the road, and and I was like, they're a mid-engine supercar, double wishbone front and rear, which is the same as Lamborghini and Lotus, you name it. Like every mid-engine car that's built properly, any any race car, any anything, they're the same. So it shouldn't be scary. Otherwise, everyone in the world would be driving around. Like, like with tender hooks, tender right, yeah. you know, sure, unable yeah. to drive them. And, and and I didn't do anything especially magical. I mean, I, I to be completely frank, I don't have the specs for four eight eight piece Take Peace to Spider, but I know what, I don't know, LaFerrari spec is and I know what mm. McLaren P1 spec is and a whole load of these things. And they're all basically the same. So we just put the same numbers as pretty much every other Ferrari, McLaren, Lambo, <laughs> mid-engine mm. numbers on, but spent the time to make it right. yeah. Uh, the car's like a pussycat. You mm-hmm. could genuinely go and take it out of country lane with your foot buried in the carpet and start thinking like, uh, uh, I need to slow down because this car does not I'm 60 a, bit, a second, no. you know, and I've had my foot in for a few seconds. This is bad. And, and at that point, uh, it just totally transformed the car.
4: So so hypothetically, somebody brings in a car to you who you you uh, you pay you haven't seen this car before. Yeah. You haven't worked with it before. With it, I'm I'm talking over John because he appears to be dying in the yeah. corner. Sorry about that. Are you okay, personally? John? Yeah,
0: I'm just choking on a on nothing. fizzy drink. I oh, want a fizzy drink. <laughs> yes, very good. From Ireland. Yes, an Irish fizzy drink. <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice one. <laughs>
4: yeah. Um, so somebody, Mr. Customer or Mrs. Customer, brings their car into you. You haven't seen that car before. What does that process look like? If they well, firstly, obviously, you want to determine what they want from it. Do you go out and do some like iterative? Things or do you just have a go or uh,
2: most of the time, unless it's something really oddball, I uh, will ask the customer what they think, what they want to achieve, um, and I I feel that unless it is something oddball or is there is something that's got like a real question mark hanging over it, I feel that most of the time is a bit of a waste of time to go and drive around in the car first because if someone. So, I, 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 a customer who is who, um, turning to quite a good friend actually, he's got a six hundred LT. Turned around and said to me that at uh, seventy miles an hour, <laughs> 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 under under braking, yes, that the car felt unstable. And I said to this customer, "I'm not going to drive your car at
1: mm. seventy miles <laughs> an hour.
2: <laughs> like that's not a thing. No. I don't. I. There's, where am I going to go and do that? And so." I just listened to what he said and then measured where it was at. And where it measured matched exactly what he said his experience would be. And we did it. And he went away and he went and drove his car at 70 miles an hour somewhere, which I think is absolutely insane. But you know, uh, and hit the brakes and said it was great. And it's stable and it's nice and it's sorted. Now, the contrast would be uh, we had uh, a TVR uh 1600 in the other day which is like the first just before the wedges mm-hmm. so like a TBR same as like a 280s or a or like a,
0: mid to late 80s shape Well, yeah but
2: yeah but but it had a Ford had a pinto in it okay but okay yeah a cross flow, well, it was, anyway it was 1600 before my time this and is. and and like I I have no real world experience of these cars didn't know what to expect from it. He said all sorts of stuff about how it drove. So, before we did anything, I asked him to come over, like before even booking, and we went for a bit of a drive, mm. had to play with the dampers he just fitted, and sort of basically decided, well, I wanted to see the car and, and know what what I was faced with before I made any promises. Because yes. if it was all non adjustable and yeah. you know, what can you do? it was rotten underneath and uh, it actually drove okay. I wouldn't want to take money off him to, not make a difference. And as it turned out, the thing was like, like brand new underneath, mm-hmm. and had adjustable everything. And actually, it didn't drive terrible to begin with. But I did agree with what he thought about the way his car drove, and so we had to play with it. And actually, it made it really good in the end. It was really good. That that exact car just needed a quicker steering rate, really. And beyond that, it felt like a relatively modern car mm-hmm. once it was done. Um, so it really depends on yeah. what someone's bringing case by case because, like, uh, a Renault Clio, uh, uh, uh Ford, I don't know, Fiesta with a beam axle, uh, uh, Sayat Ibiza, uh, Mark IV Golf, they're all different cars, mm. they're all McFerson struts to the beam axle, right? Mm-hmm. So you can basically take your knowledge from each platform and go, right, okay, so, uh, and and Different cars will have like slightly different attributes, but so you you've you've raced when you're trying to make a car go faster when you're racing in that environment, you'll uh, analyze your data and you'll look at tires and you'll look at cornering forces and braking forces and you'll look at everything and you'll make changes based on each circuit and each environment to get to one hundred percent of the performance or as close as possible. Absolutely, you, we're not doing that what we're doing is trying to make people's, car, people's cars feel nice. Yes. Right? And actually, I don't think it's very hard to take a totally unknown car and have a look over and go, ah, well, that front end bit's the same as a VW, and, yeah. oh, that rear suspension, that's the same design as a BMW, and, oh, that's the same as sort of Porsche, and go, well, okay, so all those things are kind of the same, so if we do this, that should be good, and get to, like, within the 90% sweet spot. And 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 at the point where, where then when you're chasing the final tenths and hundredths, yeah. Then you need. Then it's a bit silly, and you have to actually scientifically do it. Yeah. But but then when when you talk about this stuff as well, um, when people start talking lap times and going, oh, well, you know, the new the new GT three is like three seconds a lot quicker at the Nurburgring than the old <laughs> one. Oh, yeah. You know, so <laughs> much. And you're like, right, okay, so if you you were just playing on Gran Turismo, John. I was, yeah. If you had your True ghost story. car in front of you that was three <laughs> seconds a lap quicker than the Nürburgring, it'd basically just be an identical overlay over yeah. the entire lap. It would move like one mil per corner further. Mm. So it, that's not what we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. I mean, great if we get to the that point, yeah. but more often than not, what you're doing is just getting someone into the window where their car feels good and they enjoy driving it. And you know what? Sometimes that doesn't even mean getting the most out of the car. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just means making the car how the customer wants it, to make it feel nice. So true. Yeah.
4: So, so true. And I uh, I think even when I was uh, first on this podcast as a guest, yeah. I actually made that very point, because I talk very fondly about my E39 M5, which is of the it's from the 2000. It's an old Best car now. Best of car ever made. Brilliant car. <laughs> yeah. Um it hasn't got any fancy chassis systems on it at all. Oh, the DSC is quite clever on that, actually. It does is individual it? wheel braking Oh, stuff. my, yeah. well, yeah. Um, but to be it, honest with it, you, I it... couldn't tell you because it's never on. <laughs> 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 um, but that car, um, as as a machine for driving around on the UK roads, I feel is absolutely perfect because yeah. it's soft enough. Yeah. I can feel what's going on. Yeah. The kind of just, if I want to have a little play around with it, that's okay, and I don't have to be going a million miles an hour to do it. No. And the modern equivalent, I do have to be doing it. Yes. yes. And yeah. it's quite scary. Have you driven it on track? My car? Yeah. No.
2: Yeah, they're awful. <laughs> but they're I'm amazing on the road. Yes. Yeah.
4: And it's a ro- but it's a road car, right? Yeah. It's a performance road car, and that's what I love about it. Mm. I've driven the current uh M5 on road and track quite a lot. And to be honest, it just does everything really, really well. Yeah. You know. But it's, it's twenty years on from where we were. Uh, the recipe for what that car was back in the day, I don't know if they re- if the, if it was planned, but it's just bloody perfect.
1: Mm.
2: I think I think there's a sweet spot of cars around that generation where basically, I think crash safety has something to do with it as well. Where chassis rigidity got a lot better. Yeah, you were kind of at the getting close to the end of suspension design. So if you look at cars from the seventies and eighties, they're all very similar and basic. And once you get to the nineties, things start to get more refined and modernized. So you then get to like early two thousands cars and they're they're starting to really closely resemble what you've got and buy today in terms of design and geometry and all the rest. Yeah. More often than not, newer cars are designed to have better geometry at lower ride heights and older cars are better at higher ride heights. And I feel like that's a massive oversimplification, but that's kind of how you can summarise it. Mm. So an M five, an E thirty nine M five for example has, it's the point where Euro NCAP testing is a real thing, so chassis rigidity for safety is a big thing, so chassis rigidity in general is a big thing. Um, um, it's still old enough that we were getting limited slip diffs and things and and doing tradi- what I'd call traditional chassis tuning. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but it does actually have, it's funny, that the stability control system, so I had an E39 M5, and the stability control completely saved my 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 backside massively. <laughs> once upon a time on the motorway, where we were going along in absolute pissing rain, mm-hmm. and the standing water in the outside lane, and there's trucks on the inside, and there's nowhere to go, and the car literally like uh, there was nothing, and the, the light on the dash flashed, and my mate screamed in the passenger seat. Not me, and, not John. And, <laughs> no, were you in the car, John? No, <laughs> I, I I would remember It this. was Martin. We were on our way to the Race of Remembrance, oh. and it literally went. Br- and like, kind of moved itself across the lane. You felt it as a driver grab everything, yes, and just stabilise itself and carry on. And I was like, cool, cool. <laughs> at, at that point, I thought that I kind of wished I had put, bought new rear tyres for it when I thought uh, they probably need replacing, but I hadn't. But yeah, it's interesting. So they have like a that area of car. I feel ha- is on the brink of technology taking over, mm. where technology was making some really good impact and really improving things but not taking over and now to get anywhere near the same experience you have to buy like a porsche gt car where you can turn everything off Mm -hmm. where the shifter works the right way around or you can maybe buy a manual one or you know where all all the things are calibrated so in such a way that you can actually just turn it off and use the car whereas if you buy anything else so like uh For example, you know,
0: well, probably a new M5, actually. I bet you can't turn everything off. I bet you kind of can, but can't.
1: I think you
3: can. You're
0: probably engineered to the point now. I've found this with a lot of new press cars that I drive where it's become a lot of, well, some motoring journalists are using the the Eurofighter mode, which is that the car is now so dependent on everything being on. Yeah. They're so over engineered New Ferrari is a perfect example of this. They're so clever now, like with the, the amount of power they've got. New Ferrari now is 1,000 horsepower. Mm-hmm. So therefore, to put that power down efficiently and then throw in an electric motor and then have it turbocharged and then have a dynamic chassis and then have all yeah. the other things and then assume that the person sat behind the steering wheel is a complete moron, you have to be able to calculate that everything will just manage itself. Turn everything off. That car is undrivable. Drive an SF ninety with no traction control, or even the new uh, two nine six GTV. It's undrivable. Yeah, but you can't. They,
2: so I had a I had a conversation when we were doing some filming with um, a major manufacturer. Probably doesn't matter now actually. But with McLaren, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and I was like saying to one of the engineers because they haven't got LSDs in them or you know like, I think we were doing I can't remember what car we were doing. I think we were talking about 570S at the time. They've always had open diffs, haven't they? Yeah. And, I, like, this, they? So, yeah. and yeah. I said, I said, like, how do you? Is there a mode where you can turn everything off? And and the engineer sort of looked at me like really quite blankly, and I was like, what? How off can you go? And he's mm. like, well, you know, the the damper system, the gearbox system, the traction traction system, all of this, it's all talks to each other and it's all integrated. Yeah. So you can't actually turn it off. I was like, so when it's all off, it's not off. And he's like, well, no, because it's still. Managing torque vectoring through the diff, yeah, and, yeah. and 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 like it will look at your and alter damper settings for that. So like technically at all times, our programming is affecting the way the car drives. Yeah. And on a real base level setting, you'll see this uh, if you ten years ago go on holiday to Mallorca with your friend and hire a BMW One Series <laughs> and try and do skids around roundabouts. Sounds time, like you speak from experience. That you'll notice that you can sort of. Uh, make them do skids with everything off, but still feel that yeah, things are going there. on, and you feel it really obviously in like a normal product, like a like like for example a one 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 eight D from the hire car company very specific uh, yeah, uh, but you'll feel it if you really like look out for it, you'll feel it in almost all new yeah. products, yes. and and it's very subtle, but you just basically come away going why is this car not quite feel. Mm why do I feel somehow isolated from it
4: you do you do and, and and the reality you know as we were just talking before we started recording that's why I used to you know I used, to, used to tune that for for a living those systems and the reality is um even off in inverted commas is still a mode it's not off as in we've turned the esc modulator off yeah. that's not the case right. off is still a programmed mode which still has to fit certain characteristics because even though you're driving the car, a modern car at least. Even though you're driving the car without any systems on, it can't suddenly become a basket case, no. legally. You know, no. uh, and and I, I'm sure. I think Audi. I think Audi did something. It might have been fifth gear a long, long time ago, where they genuinely did do a
0: proper, you know, computer connected everything off, yeah. and it genuinely was undrivable. Yeah. 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 And that's where the whole Eurofighter analogy comes in. And, yes. and it, anyone that's listening doesn't know what I mean by that. Typhoon, the new RAF fighter jet thing, is so clever. It's got so many different flaps and yaws and things that are constantly working. If you turned it off, the plane would fall out of the sky. It would be unflyable. And that is now the comparison to a lot of new cars, which to a lot of us seems absolutely bonkers. But then when you think the power that it's putting out, the capabilities what it can do, the squishy thing that's sat behind the... Steering wheel. It has th- to be. I, th- it. I think it's a bit exaggerated. I'm kind of going to say that I probably, uh,
2: I disagree that those cars are undrivable because of power, mm. but they are so calibrated around all of it. So anything with like, um, you know, uh, with with a motor that offers front drive or mm. extra assist or whatever, you can't put those systems to to just like digital on and off switch. They have to be calibrated. Everything has to be oh. calibrated. I don't I don't know that the car's necessarily become absolutely undrivable because like uh, you know, you, you take the motorsport racing version of that car and it will have no systems and it will have maybe a bit less power, actually, but similar power and all the yeah. rest. Yeah. But it's just it's, it takes all the calibrated stuff away from it. Yeah. Um and at that point you have to tune everything differently. So like you, for example uh, some of these cars will probably have braking systems where they'd be very hard to actually manage braking without intelligent brake management. Because I was thinking that about the M5, right? So the M5 uh, is a weird car. If you try and do left foot braking or or slide nice. it and brake while you slide it, because I had one and I dicked around in it a lot, um, <laughs> uh, you'll feel it grab individual wheels and try and do stuff. You can't just left foot brake the car because it's... And you can't turn that off. But you can you can turn all the traction systems off, but then when you go to more and more modern things, you can't turn, you just can't turn anything off because no. mm. it's always doing a thing. And then you have to go in and code it. So like the difference between, uh, an M one hundred and forty and, and like an F 80 M three, um, Drive trainer stuff's quite similar. You can put LSD in an M140, but you need to go in and change all the electronics calibrations to eliminate all the torque vectoring, the diff, and eliminate this and eliminate that. And then actually, it's a really cool product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But unless you do that, and, and you'll see it. So uh, I've got a 906 Turbo, and those mine has uh, the precharge pump for the stability control unplugged and it coded out of the dash. So it only has <laughs> ABS and it doesn't have anything else. <laughs> Part of the reason I did that is <laughs> I played around for ages, unplugging and replugging and making things active and not active. Um, so there's like a there's like a uh, uh, what's the term for when there's a it's not an old vibes tale. There's like an urban myth, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's happened where I can't remember the corner name, but there's a corner on the ring where lots of modified nine hundred and six turbos have crashed. And there's there's a there's like a thread on one of the Renlist or something forums right. where there's guys talking about their crash there. Uh, and there's a guy called uh, I can't remember a guy with a modified one anyway who crashed there relatively recently, like within the last five years, and and it's if you have all the systems still connected, so off on traction on those isn't off, it still does E diff function, mm-hmm. but when you if you're sliding it doesn't do anything as long as you're on throttle, but if you go <laughs> off throttle. It goes right. This guy's having a crash. You're having an accident. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there's a corner where you come around on power and the car sees your. And if you've got semi slicks and suspension and brakes, you far exceed the car's programmed G and your, and it goes mate, you're having a crash? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to fix this for you. <laughs> oh, God. And it locks all the brakes, stabilise the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the cars, there's, there's like, there's a barrier that several 996 turbos have hit. Because no if you put suspension, tyres, brakes, seats, and exceed the G and your, and go around this corner and turn left and right, the car goes, this is a crash scenario, it yeah. locks the brakes. Yeah. And I had it happen to me at Donington. So I plugged everything back in, see what it was like, went out, uh, went down through craner curves, literally, off the off the accelerator and went to touch the brakes, not use them, just like at the transition A point. Dab. And the front wheel's just locked. Bloody
3: hell.
2: It literally just went and I took my foot off the pedal and they stayed locked. And I was like I'm going to die. I don't like this. <laughs> and it clearly seemed like at the point where you came down and like bottomed the well didn't bottom the car, but you feel it load yes. and it and it goes from left to right and then you go for the brake it it went uh, uh, and just had a wobbly yes. and it, it let me have the brakes back eventually and I had a bit of a skip across the grass and went oh okay cool that was scary that was all planned yeah but <laughs> I just that was when I went to the trouble of coding coding the dash yeah, yeah, to yeah, eliminate yeah. it and unplugging it and stuff
4: it's it yeah it's really interesting again it's a really interesting point you make uh, and and something you know like you say something like the crane occurs at Donington. there aren't that's quite a unique scenario, isn't yep. it? You know, to be like as going as fast as you are, and the corner is over a crest, it's off camber, and basically all the things that you could possibly not. And, yeah, want. if you
2: click the curb, it will see like an impact force, like a G that goes oh oh something bad's happening. Yeah,
4: and yeah. And, it, and it basically that the car is categorising that particular set of scenarios to go. You're having a big crash here. Yeah, but actually you're you know, it, but the car doesn't know that you you're perfectly in control, but the car doesn't know
2: that yeah so when you were doing your your job uh you'd be going right we'll calibrate this car for these tires and you'd have the correct tires for purpose and 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 you'd have you know your springs and dampers set up and you'd know your brake sizes and if you were doing a different caliper you'd do a different calibration and if you're doing a a, a different tire size wheel size different combo you do a different calibration um you know in a, in a modern car you tell it if you're on your winter tires or not i'm sure it will change the calibration on things yeah. um all these things are calibrated. So at the point where you go, right, I put some Motons and some three one five slicks on the front of my car, uh, the car goes cool. I've still got one nine five winter tires. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, I can't do yeah. this. And we're driving
0: through a, t- a sleepy village in Herefordshire. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs>
2: that's that's where that's where it becomes a bit weird with with new cars, and it's why to quite often you have to buy the the proper performance product to get it Yeah. Um, it's where actually looking at a picture of it thinking about it it's where uh, in the new car market cars like the GR Yaris are quite special and exclusive in that you can just get in and hold a button and everything does actually turn off mm-hmm. and it becomes like quite a mechanical thing uh, we had a Golf 8 in today where it took us about 10 minutes outside just then working out how to turn all the systems <laughs> off and I don't think it definitely doesn't turn the systems off
1: no. Yeah.
2: Um. And we were discussing how much of the system intervention was something that could be coded and programmed out, or that was a car where doing the suspension setup on it was partly to see if by setting the thing up properly, because it had like a rushed setup by the guys that built it, and it was kind of all over the place. Um. Whether making it just straight and perfect and nice would reduce intervention of systems, because in theory it should, because yeah. the car thinks it's yawing down the road at one degree at all times, then you're. Intervention point becomes a lot, a lot earlier. A lot earlier, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah.
4: Very true. Uh, I, I there's a. I'm going to dumb the conversation down just for a moment. Is this going to be your question? It's not. Oh, okay. No, it's not. It's not. Um, but I, I, I want to precursor it with with this. Um, young lad gets, uh, buys his 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 hatchback, mm. uh, whatever that may be, and thinks, hmm. I'm going to go and buy a £200 set of coilovers Uh off eBay and fit those to my car because that's going to definitely be
2: better. Thoughts on that topic? So, I have some very really funny thoughts on on all of this stuff, on budget tyres, cheap suspension, you name it. Some of this stuff is complete junk. Some of it, what? It, it's all, it's all way below proper stuff.
1: Yeah. Mm.
2: Some of it is mind blowing. What you can buy for the money that you're spending. Mm-hmm. So obviously, a two hundred pounds set of coilovers for your hatchback is more than likely going to ruin the car. <laughs> yes. Right? More like than likely. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you've can we, got. Can
4: we can we sound clip that for <laughs> the socials later? Yeah.
2: If, if you've got like a new modern car, let's say you've gone and bought a brand new Fiesta ST. Which, let's
0: be honest, that's the one we were all thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: You can buy from Ford or from IBAC or from anyone, like a lowering spring kit that will actually be tuned pretty well to work with the standard dampers and that'll work quite well. And there's a reason why Top Gear and Auto Car say that you know, a Fiesta ST is amazing. And it's because a whole team has worked on making it amazing. Mm-hmm. So £200 set of coilovers is not going to improve that. If you've gone and bought a £500 Mark IV Golf that you want to do some track days in that has blown shocks and you fancy learning some stuff, I'm not going to say anything bad about you buying a £200 set of yeah. coilovers and putting them on the car. Right answer. Because they're going Great to answer. be better than whatever blown... Stuff you had on the car, yeah. And if they break, and you put them on with your mates over a weekend with a couple of beers, and you learn mm. that how to do some things, and you break a thing and do a thing, cool. Survival lesson. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I for several years when I was younger and not married and didn't have a child and didn't have a business and all these things, I used to build a car every year to take to Norway because uh, my mates live over there because they're Norwegian, funny enough. And and I'd build something cheap to go and take and leave over there for the winter. Mm-hmm. So one winter, I, 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 I reached like pinnacle winter driving experience, which was I booked every weekend. Uh, every weekend I booked the Ryanair flights <laughs> to go out there because they were like 15 quid return. And if you booked six months in advance, they were all 15 quid return. So I just booked every weekend because it cost me like 300 quid to book the entire winter return flights. And what I did was just go. Oh, I can't go this weekend. I don't care. That cost me fifteen quid. Yeah. And 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 I built myself a Mercedes C two hundred and thirty compressor manual, a W two hundred and two, which is like a nineteen ninety seven. And I bought a TA Technics <laughs> one hundred and fifty pound spring and shock kit for it. Ooh. Oh baby! But, but I bought I bought that kit for uh, for an E four hundred and thirty. Combi because I ordered it from Germany for an E four hundred and thirty estate because they're all the same platform car. Yeah. So I was like, well, that one's gonna have if I'm if I'm like shooting in the dark, that one's gonna be calibrated. That that kit's gonna be calibrated. Yeah, the one hundred and fifty pound screenshot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's gonna have the stiffest springs for an E four hundred and thirty and probably the stiffest dampers, maybe the same ones, but whatever. And uh, and I put an old, I actually had a Recaro in it. I put an old Recaro seat that I had kicking around that I made fit the, the factory runners, so it had to add like electric mercedes-style seats and stuff (laughs) and i and i welded the diff and i put a handbrake in it uh and i took it to norway for the winter Mm -hmm. and it was unbelievably good okay it was so good (laughs) like like really good uh but in context i wanted it to be really good like battering down some frozen roads in the middle of forests and going out on a frozen lake and you know i'm sure there'd be scenarios where it became completely unstuck but but compared to anything else I could have done to the car, I ended up with probably a thousand pounds of investment, including buying the car. I did a pulley and a, a pulley and a map as well. So it was wow. it was genuinely as quick as my mate's three liter M <laughs> <laughs> three, <That's incredible.
1: laughs>
2: and it cost a thousand pounds. Yeah, and um. Uh, in that context, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. But in no way as a business would I ever say, I'm going to say these things because they could literally go on the car and like snap in half two minutes later. Yeah. So you're taking that risk. Um, I, I, equally, budget tires, right? So um, here's me. Here's why I say I've got real world experience rather than... Because, because in my own personal life, I've been messing around with cars since I was... Well, before I had my license, but essentially since I could drive. And when you're 17 years old and your first car is a 5 Series and you want to go and do something fun like a track day or drifting or something, you haven't got any money. No. Mm-hmm. And so so like <laughs> the way that you do things is 100% on maximum budget. Mm. And so I kind of bought loads of horrible budget tyres and horrible cheap suspension and horrible cheap things. And you learn that what you're essentially doing is gambling. If you go and buy a Michelin or a Continental or a Pirelli or a Bridgestone or a Nankang AR1, a proven track tyre or or a Yokohama or something that actually is a real thing, you know without having to know anything about it, it's going to do the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If Michelin sell a tyre that is designed for track days, it will do track days, yes. right? Yeah. Now, if you go out and buy a... Uh, I'm not even going to say brands, but... Well, Ling Long is the funniest one, isn't it? Uh, if you go out and buy <laughs> which is a, tire, a real tyre. That yeah, that's again, not a actually made <laughs> up. Ling Long is, is a real tyre, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you go out and buy a tyre for, like, 30 quid, um, you know what? It, it came out of a Chinese or Taiwanese or wherever factory that probably makes absolutely tonnes of tyres. Mm-hmm. And so... It's really potluck as to what they've copied, how well they've copied it, uh, whether that year they've used like a good quality batch of rubber, yes, or whatever, so rubber, or whether yeah. they've not. <laughs> or, or use them for like pencils or something. And, and so there'll be times where people will tell you, "Oh, I've just put the latest, you know, whatever tire on my car, and it was twenty quid, and it's just as good as my Michelin's," and, you know, yeah. and and you know they might not be that far off the mark; they might be okay. Uh, and there'll be times where you put tires like that on your car and you go and have a massive crash mm-hmm. because it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's more often than not that you have a massive crash because it's dangerous side of things. Um, but you're basically just gambling. So I, I always feel like if you're if you're, paying, if you're paying a business to do a thing, I feel that businesses should stick to their guns and use real-world experience and common sense to prevent their customers from making mistakes.
0: Hello, it's John Markar here from Driven and the Driven Chat podcast. Now, chances are, don't be confused, you are probably already hearing my voice as part of an existing episode that you are listening to. However, this is coming in as a separate section of the podcast in blend with our advertising space. And the reason that I wanted to bring it here at this time, this poignant time, is because we at Driven and the Driven Chat podcast are now opening up the opportunities for sponsors. Sponsors of episode by episode, or a collection of episodes or a time span or the YouTube channel or bits and pieces on our website you name it we are now coming up with a little list of sponsorship opportunities that you may want to be involved in if you are a business or responsible within an organization or a company or a brand that feel that you may benefit from getting your brand put in front of many 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 listeners all over the world, but mostly here in the United Kingdom, then why not get in touch? The podcast address to email is podcast at drivenchat.com. That's podcast at drivenchat.com. Alternatively, head on over to the website, drivenchat.com forward slash contact. And there you will see some alternative options of getting in contact with us. If you want to provide some details about who you are, your company, what you might want to sponsor. It's all there. What I can tell you is that we have tens of thousands of weekly downloads and more than half a million people have now downloaded the Driven Chat podcast. That is a very keen core audience. If you would like to capitalise from that, why not get in touch? One thing I can promise you, it's not going to be as expensive as perhaps you might think. Find out more by dropping me an email, podcast at drivenchat.com and I will personally reply to you. Now, back to the episode. The Driven Chat Podcast.
4: I feel like you are um, you are the minority in this space in a good way,
0: is what I'm saying. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you're absolutely right. There are there are, as as you said at the beginning of our chat, yeah, there are so many companies out there that will do the bare minimum, get the bill sent to the customer. Do they well, care as much? It's sadly, I think. I think care I like is the main thing, right? Yeah. So
2: yeah. I, I'm not, I'm neither one thing nor the other. There are some situations and some jobs where customers will come to me and say, well, I've been quoted less elsewhere. Yeah. That sounds really expensive. And I'll be like, yeah, because I'm not going to do a shit job. I'm okay. really going to do a good job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there'll be other situations where someone will come and ask me, what should I do with this? And I'll go, oh, don't worry about it, just do the cheap thing. Because because it's entirely context-based. Yeah. And if you actually have your customers' interests in heart, then you can make that decision. Hmm. Um, I, I have I have a... A, a real be-in-my-bonnet about people buying like cheap OEM suspension arms and bushes and things mm-hmm. because it's a total false economy. Mm-hmm. It's a total waste of time and money. Um, uh, there are certain cheap tyres that I'll see on people's cars where i like, you need to get those off straight away. They yeah. are literally dangerous. You are out of your mind driving on those. Does
0: that have lost um, She had
2: that. Not so much with customers here, mm-hmm. but sometimes people bring their cars in asking about having work done, yeah, and we'll look for some input, and I'll basically tell them, I, I, you shouldn't be giving me money; you should be spending money on this, that, or the yeah. other. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and 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 funnily enough, it's not always. You know what I? I generally have. More of an issue with like the mid range suspension that people think are good. So, I don't think anyone's under any illusion if they go and buy a 200 pound set of coilovers off eBay that they're any good, yeah. yeah. And so, it, yeah, no, no, definitely not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, but like, so, so, what's your expectation, right? There, you go to you go to uh. A metals merchant and you try and buy the materials to make your 200 pound coilovers mm-hmm. you won't be able to for 200 pounds no, it's no, insane no. how can you buy that in a box that has been shipped halfway around the world that actually fits your car and holds it in the air and can drive you somewhere for 200 pounds that's mad it's more the the stuff that when people go and spend like a thousand pounds on something mm-hmm. and it's total junk mm-hmm. and, and he's dangerous <laughs> yeah so so one of one of my uh, one of the guys who I do some work with who's sort of friend of a friend has been doing some engine work on 9 911s yeah uh, but isn't so much of a chassis guy and okay. put some put some sort of thousand pound price bracket uh, coil overs on his car yeah and proceeded to go and stick it in the gravel like three times in a row on a track day mm. And was saying, "Oh, this car is really sketchy, and under braking it does these weird things, and it's wobbling round." And I and I just said, "Yeah, because you put that suspension." On. Mm-hmm. And the response was, "No, but they're great. They're awesome. They're really uh, good. They, they drive do. great." And I'm like, "No, no, I know the internet says that, but there's yeah. there's a weird thing where uh, uh, people will will believe something based on price point, and the mid range price point stuff. People feel that they've spent enough money to get a good thing." Well, actually, it might not be any better than the terrible thing. for yes. two hundred quid. It might it, be shinier.
4: It's interesting, like like you say, it feels, you know, um, it feels like you give an honest direction and understand what that particular use case is with the customer. Uh, I so I had an experience of this when I was, I again, I was out with the nerve grain testing, and I needed to coach somebody uh, at the Nodslifer to get their help them get their industry pool license. Um, and it didn't make sense to put them in, you know... Is that sub-8, bro? Do you
2: have to do sub-8 to do that? Is that what it
4: is? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Not like a... It didn't make sense to put them in a high-powered road car, basically. So I hired um, a car from one of the companies, and... What was it? What did you hire? So it was a BMW 1 Series, 125 petrol. Yes. um, No more than 220 horsepower,
2: which is... It isn't a lot of power, is it? Was it, was it the company that is, uh, how, are, we, are we able to say what company it yeah, was? Yeah, why not, yeah. Is it Rent for Ring? Rent for Ring, yeah. Yeah, cool. Those one series are amazing. They are fantastic and I said,
4: I drove, I drove it for a couple of laps and said, what, you know, what have you done? And they said, do you, do you know what? It's got nothing to do with the engine. Yeah. It's got some, I think it's got some bigger, better pads on it, something like that. All of the money and time and effort had gone into the, kw springs and dampers on it yeah mm-hmm. and they were remarkable like all that the car to drive on the nurberg ring was impeccable mm-hmm. to drive anywhere else maybe not so good i don't know yeah but all they'd done was basically make it you know sort of cage all that kind of basic stuff but then all the time and effort and money yep. had
2: gone on the dampers i think they've got endless pads in them they spent some money on pads as well because because mm-hmm. that that's the thing that people also skip is uh, unfortunately brakes that work well cost money yeah, and yeah. you don't necessarily yeah. need like the latest, greatest, giant caliper kit, but some good, good pads work. hundred percent. Good tires work. hundred Th- percent. Those cars are cool. They're Cause, brilliant. Because one two five as well. It's a two-liter turbo rear-wheel drive. Yeah. One series. Thing, isn't it? Like what? How is that not good? It, it,
4: that, that that it blew me away, and and you know, in terms of its outright pace over a lap. It was, it was way, way, way quicker than cars with a lot more power.
2: Cars have gone absolutely wild now. So uh, I have customers come in who talk about Nervo Ring lap times and what time they're aiming for. Yeah. and <laughs> you and, just put your head in your hands? Well, <laughs> so anything bridge to gantry sub eight minutes is fast. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're in. And these new, the the new... Porsches and M cars and stuff that are doing sub-seven minute full laps are absolutely insane. Like, never mind the technical ability of the car. The the balls you have to have yeah. to carry that much speed in anything is wild. So actually it, it for me is getting to the point of unnecessary. It's like a necessary risk, unnecessary fear. Um that one two five. Is probably not far off the same pace as like an E thirty six or E forty six M three really, 100%. and and those sort of performance cars are they're a thrill to drive fast around the ring. They it, are they it, are it unbelievable.
4: Might, uh, uh, yeah, it was a thrill. It was rewarding. You know, you could like fire it up and down curves, and it just sort of dealt. And it's with fast it. enough
2: to go up the hill and not not feel like it's standing still. Correct. Like an MX five is. Is sort of below the borderline, right? Yeah. You sit there going
1: mm, up the hill for a <laughs> <Yeah>. long time, <laughs> uh, but at
2: the point where you're in like a two liter turbo BMW, it's going to still be accelerating up there, so yeah. you don't feel bored, you know. 100%. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think I think. Um, but I
4: think it just proves the theory again that you know it. it, it you don't need to, it might be. A, you may have an idea of what you want to do with your car and a direction you want to take it in, mm. but I really, do speak to somebody about. With ha- that has a bit of knowledge and experience.
2: Yeah. So, I, I try and be a sort of consultant with mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. Where, so, I, we talked about the suspension setup, but we, we do loads of other stuff. Yeah. Um, I've got a customer with a, a Chevy 350 powered Land Rover that was a bit slow and not working right. So, we took the carb off and put a Holly like EFI system that looks like a carb. Uh, got some
1: uh,
2: aluminium heads from the US. Cam, which I specced and built it up with some roller rockers and bits and bobs and cool stuff and tweaked the auto box to work properly and, you know, made it cool. That That is on the, the verge over there. Um, uh, customers just with, it's basically, it's looking for experience, mm. looking for people who can turn around and say, you should or shouldn't do this. Here's why. What would you do? And actually, more often than not, we can do the thing. I won't always be the best person to go to, you know. If I'm going to be really time consuming, and expensive to do a job, I'll tell people. Because here's the thing, right? If, if every day of your life you manufacture roll cages, you're probably pretty quick at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't mean that we couldn't do it, but it would be a bit dishonest to say to someone, "Yeah, bring it here, you'll get the best deal." Mm-hmm. But sometimes, sometimes that's not the thing. Sometimes people just want. To know that they're dealing with someone who will actually look after their best interests, and in those situations, will do anything. Yeah, any any kind of work on a car really, just not
0: clutches on diesel Mondeos, you know. But you know. <laughs> so yeah, if you were about to send that evil inquiry, just yeah, <laughs> maybe not. And I guess on the the same sort of thread of conversation, one of the questions that I wanted to ask as a, just a personal interest point is: what is the most common, if there is one, the most common misconception that comes with people bringing their car to you for a geometry setup? Is there a common theme that comes in where you're like, ah, where have you heard that? Is there anything like that that jumps out from a suspension geometry point of view?
2: Um, I I think the misconception is how much stuff people think they need. Mm. How many adjustable parts and like upgraded bushes and adjustable links and actually you're way better off buying uh focusing your interests and telling you telling someone what you want to achieve and, mm. and working out how to achieve it. People people seem to think that buying a load of 20 quid adjustable bits and bobs will make their car better. And what actually happens is people get lost. Mm. You get lost and you make the yeah. car drive worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that for me is it like I think I think people forget that the experience that their dad had on his spitfire where you know like <laughs> everything on it was made out of what, whatever rubber someone who didn't want to be at work we're talking <laughs> about the, the triumph by the way not the air <laughs> Just yeah, to be clear. yeah yeah or or you know like those experiences are different yeah. to going out and buying a modern car where actually most of it is pretty good so i think the misconception is how much stuff you need yeah. Really. You don't need loads of stuff. You just need to buy the right stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think that's bang on. Now, I before we started recording, Miles, you said that you had a listener's question for Ben, which I'm quite intrigued to hear. I do. I have a listener's question from
4: an listener. Uh listener's name is Scott. Um has experience of driving a bunch of cars, uh road cars mainly. Um and has a Cayman GT4 on the way. So with his level of knowledge and experience driving a car like that, he is the first to admit that he, will, he, will, he won't get the maximum out of a car from, yeah. a, from a driving uh, ability point of view. Yeah. But would him bring a, the car to you with a certain set of desires or something like that, would he be able to notice that as a as a layman? In, in inverted commas, would he be able to notice the differences? And why would he bring it to you so in the first place? I would
2: say that specific car. Ninety percent of GT fours that come in here, you would notice by the time you get to the roundabout, like wow. half a mile, but you the, the road. No, seriously, because yeah, yeah, yeah. like the whole the whole feeling of the way the car rolls at the road would just feel more more consistent, more planted. So, uh. It is exactly this. This ties into exactly what I was saying earlier. It is not about the outright performance of the car. Yes. Uh-huh. I don't even know what lap timer I, I should do because it's my business. But I don't know what lap timer GT four does around the Northern green, But it's going to be like twenty five seconds or something. Absolutely insane. You know. It's going to be uh, quick. Yeah. 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 You know, it's going to be like bip. It's gone around the track. Oh my god, that's yeah. unreal. Okay. My M three used to do it in eight minutes, and now this is half the time. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, no one's doing that. No. No, no no one, very few people are talented enough to do it, or stupid enough, mm. brave enough, willing enough to wipe their cars rich, off. Rich enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you're you, out to enjoy your car. And yeah. so the changes that we make change the feel of the car. And so the whole point is that it feels better. It is not about unlimited extra performance. Yes. It's about feeling better. So
4: it, that... Uh, I feel brilliant, and again, brilliant answer. And I think that actually we'd sort of semi-answered it towards the start. um, To be honest, because it wasn't that I first asked a very simple question: Why would they bring the car to you? But you actually answered that incredibly well. And like you say, in the sense of well, actually, it's not so much we bring it here to just uh, to just put a a a setup that we know and move it out the door. We want to know
2: what you want to get from the car. The, The general the general thing is it's your level of compromise that you're willing to live with so manufacturers definitely have compromise and sort of safety limits that they have to work within yeah um which they obviously with gt products especially know is a thing because they put all the adjustable parts on the car mm. so uh, if it can't be made to drive better or differently why would it have two piece lower arms that you can put shims in <laughs> yeah and and like like a GT4 RS for example has two piece lower arms front and rear it has adjustable caster pucks so when you push the track out you can rotate them it has all these things why have they bothered doing that if you can't if there's no intent to make the car drive better or differently 100% um and and the feel of a car is the main thing so we've been doing loads of stuff on on gi Yaris's recently and we do our own spring kit for them and some other bits for them and i've been dissuading people from buying uh, incredibly expensive suspension for them uh if they're looking to just like improve the feel of the car because you can do a couple of things together instead you could take your imaginary four grand that you want to spend and you could by a spring setup and some seats and the whole car will literally you'll, you'll get in the car and you'll drive to the end of the road and you go oh my god my car feels completely different mm. it'll feel connected and like stuff's going on yeah um, now if I, I say this because I, I watched the lap of Jason Plato driving the Yaris and it, it was like on it you can <laughs> see the car is moving around constantly yeah. it's unreal yeah. if you took me in my spring kit and seats and tyres and a remap and a this and a that and the other Yaris, you put me on track with Jason Plato and a standard one with whatever alignment it's got, do you honestly think I'd be it'd be faster than Jason Plato? Because <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, that's what yeah. you're saying. I'd, I'd like to pretend that I would be. I wouldn't. Now, um, so how much performance increase do you think you're really seeing? It, you're not. But, but his car will be like, wobbling around all over the place and loads going on and it'll be a bit kind of like you have to have Plato bravery mm-hmm. to drive it that quickly. My car will feel really nice doing it. Yeah. It won't chew its
0: tyres up mm. and it'll, it'll just go around the track and have, that, a, that, have a nice It's flight. so
4: interesting. I'm loving
0: this conversation. Yeah, I really am. Yeah. You're having more... Well, I, was gonna, I don't know. You're, I guess you are having more fun because you're able yeah. to enjoy the experience whereas Jason's there basically going... Ah,
1: yeah. fighting it wasn't yeah. it? Ooh.
2: yeah yeah you're fighting it rather than it working with you and then once it once a car works with you so you want it to be more oversteery fine we can adjust it to do that you want it mm. to be more understeery fine we'll adjust it to do that you want more of a thing we'll adjust it to do it yeah um uh that is where making a car better comes in because you can adjust it to feel better this is uh so this extends to fully
4: into into motorsport as well um you know there's so I've raced in a bunch of championships where uh you will have the pro driver in inverted commas, yeah. and then the am again in inverted commas. Um, and there is always a compromise to be made between uh between the two, yeah. So the pro would obviously want the car to just be as fast as physically possible, and that means uh drivability out the window, anything that makes it comfortable out the window, yeah, anything that makes it friendly out the window. It just wants to be as fast as possible, yeah. whereas the Am driver they if you put them if you put the Am driver in the car that the Pro had set up they would really struggle and they ultimately wouldn't be quick because they wouldn't have confidence in the car whereas the compromise has to be made between the two drivers so actually it's somewhere between what the Am wants and what the Pro wants because ultimately the Am still needs to be able to have confidence in what they're doing they don't want to think oh if we're going to this corner it's going to fire me off yeah
2: if anything really you set the car up too fast to the Am driving it because the Am will probably find like five seconds a lap Whereas the pro will probably lose like three tenths a lap. Correct. Um,
4: so the net over the race is is you know it's not even
0: worth having a conversation about. No. Well, I mean, the, you had this last year with your Praga car. Yeah. You as the pro driver and your celebrity AM driver was yeah. James, Mr, yeah, Mr. Yeah, JWW, and and was. I remember having the same conversation with Ben Collins, who was driving with Jay Morton. Correct. You know that that contrast of. I want the car to be great for me but more importantly I want the car to be great for the AM driver so it's flattering and
1: capable
4: yeah uh, uh, that is you're absolutely right and J- you know James was the was, was, was a great test of that theory actually because um, he's a capable, capable driver perfectly yeah. but um, you know to have it dancing on the raggedy edge for a two hour race doesn't really make a lot of sense no. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: We we had I did um I did some stuff with with a, a, a business that runs Lamborghinis in, in Norway. They've they've got a bunch of old um, Hurricane Super Trofeos, and the guy who owns the company, uh, well my, my friend Frederick, who who uh, is like, unbelievably talented,
0: he'll be listening. Hello, Frederick.
2: He um with some setup changes to the to the Lambo he found like another second a lap in it or something. It was unreal. And it looked really twitchy. And he complained. He complained about the car. He was like, oh, it's really twitchy and horrible now. It's really, really unpleasant to drive. And then the lap time was literally like a second quicker. And you're like, right, it might look horrible, but, but look how fast yeah. you can. Yeah. And, and we gave it to Alfred. And Alfred was like really slow. And I think span it and came back in and was like, this car's undrivable. Why have you done this? And so we just put it back to the slower setting, you know, and and that, yeah. Why, why? So I think you see this in sim racing as well. So I think when you look in uh, iRacing, for example, uh, I've discussed this with Mike Frederick a lot, that there are some cars in some of these simulators that will achieve unrealistic lap times. And yet when you look at the setups that are put on the cars in the simulator to do that, you go... Like that—that's ridiculous. If you try and drive it as someone who's not doing loads of really like hardcore sim racing, they feel horrendous mm-hmm. and almost impossible to not crash. And yet the sim racing guy has worked out how to get the most out of this absolute wild car, and has probably in his practicing for the last three weeks crashed it about four thousand times. Yeah. Yes, and and i I've, I've debated a lot. If you put one of these absolutely ridiculous and undrivable setups that maybe would like completely destroy tires on a real car, would it actually be as fast? Mm -hmm. It might be stupidly fast. Mm -hmm. But you can't do it because no one is gonna go, right, yeah, go and crash that like thirty times in order to work out if (laughs) you can't. It's entirely theoretical, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You
4: know, it's the difference between a theoretical lap time and what's really humanly possible. Yeah. Yeah. I I find it fascinating. I, I, and I had this conversation. It's something I learned with my the first race team that I ever worked with. That's something they drummed into me very very early on, was that uh, we can. There's nothing, miles There's nothing we can do. You're a capable driver, right? There's nothing we can do. We're not going to, you're not going to come in and we're not going to tweak this one thing in the car that's suddenly going to find you 2 seconds a lap. No. It's just not going to happen. No. But what we can do is make adjustments that give you the confidence in in the car to push the boundary a little bit more.
2: Yeah. So I don't remember the exact story, so I'm going to say something now that like everyone's going to go that's nonsense. But if I remember right, the Z4 GT3 that went out and won the N24 mm. I think it did I think this is a true story I might be talking nonsense they basically said that that car's development that, that car went out and won quite easily and the development was entirely focused on driver comfort making sure the aircon system worked well um, making sure that the car didn't beat up the drive the driving position was good everything it was like the first car where they'd just gone you know what forget everything else they should make it really comfortable and and on a 24 hour race it won yeah. And, and, and when you sit in, uh, it's interesting on this because we were talking about, I can now ramble about all sorts of things, but we were talking about sort of the the arrogance of ever saying, I've developed the best thing, it is now best. So one of the things I often say with customers, especially if it's a car we don't see very often, is please give me feedback. If you yeah. go off and yeah. you think the work I've done is crap, uh, this never happened, by the way, luckily, but you know, one day it probably will, mm-hmm. uh, then, then it's not that I haven't done what I've set out to do, it's just that... Um, your expectation yeah, versus you. reality versus this versus that is probably different. So every day is a school day, right? Now, you see that in evolution of motorsport. Um, you sit in, well, looking in the museum, I don't know if it's still there, they've got an M1 Pro car, but like the the prototype M1 Pro car, mm-hmm. well, not a Pro car, it's an M1 like prototype thing. And the steering wheel is like 15 degrees off angle to the seat. right? And the distance between the wheel and the seat is like this. It Well, <laughs> it's basically in your chest. Yeah. And, and the seat's properly like canted back in the car. It's the only way you're fit because <laughs> of the low roof line. And you can see that where the pedals are. You'd have to have your knees up around the steering wheel. And you look at it and you go, how would you drive that? And what they've done is they've gone, let's package a really high-performance racing car. But you can see that over time, uh, these things have evolved and they've, they've that's gone you know if, if that were to make the car in theory in a simulator you know half a second fast around a lap they wouldn't do it now because actually over the race you'd lose so much time through the driver being massively uncomfortable and, and exhausted even if it were only a 30 minute race it'd so still true. they'd yeah. still be exhausted from it um yeah it's, it's interesting how these things these things evolve and that that again goes into the setup it goes into the choice of modifications you put on the car like uh, we're doing some some damper stuff on Yaris at the moment with AST. It's a really, really good damper. Is the car any faster by putting some good dampers on it? No. Will it do a faster single lap round a circuit in most people's hands? Probably not. Um, does it just feel more confidence-inspiring when you're putting it in extreme situations? Yeah, it does. So actually you just enjoy driving the car a bit more and, and, and it, it's like it's it's actually uh, my 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 sales technique on these things is crap because I'm not I'm not what you, what people want to hear is we've done this thing and the car's five seconds of that quicker yes and I just don't think it nah, happens too many variables in yeah. that yeah I think it's buy a new set of tyres yeah. if you've done one track day on your tyres buy some new ones you'll find two seconds yeah that's the only
0: way you're going to find any chunk of time mm. yeah it's a really good point, isn't it? And again, it goes down. I guess that falls into that misconceptions category, where I think you're right. A lot of people are so used to hearing performance figures, or even even when you know, shopping for a new car and a new performance car, and this Nurburgring a lap time is boasted in the headlines, but to the ninety eight percent of people driving that car, it means nothing. It's a right. completely pointless statistic. But the thing is, this this, this the
2: statistic is used to convey how the car feels, yeah. it's just marketing people have realised that saying, hey, this car feels great, doesn't sell, this car doing this lap time does. yeah, Because yeah. the reality is, right, how can one of these cars feel bad when it does an almost inconceivably fast lap time around the fastest and most dangerous racing circuit in the world? Yeah. So this is where I kind of disagree with, remember James May used to bang on about how yes. an going lap times is irrelevant. Yeah. Well, they're kind of not. Because if a car can do a... Six minute fifty lap around the Nurburgring. It's gonna feel pretty damn good yeah. driving quickly down some nice road somewhere because it'll be so within its yeah its yeah. comfort zone. Of course. And it's what's perceivable to um to the to the driver to the owner,
4: isn't it? Because like you say, you're getting something like a Porsche nine eleven or basically any any supercar sports car. It's that feeling you get. You know, you're quite low to the ground, and mm. yes, it has got a. Higher spring rate, and yes, the steering rack is quite fast, and the, it's got that like as soon as you put a bit of steering angle in, that instant latac build. That's really things that people notice really straight away, yeah. and they go, "Yes, I'm sat in a performance car." Yep.
2: Yeah,
4: yeah, uh, and I think like to your point, that's just an extension of that, really.
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, new cars are incredible, actually. I uh, nine hundred and ninety two Turbo S, for example, like the way that the way that they they turn yeah. in an almost. Autonomous way you turn in and with the rear steer and everything, but you you don't have to be doing it like around the Nürburgring to feel that. You have to be like driving off the motor and going across roundabout, yeah, yeah, and you feel it. And it's the same in all this stuff. That if you enjoy driving your car, you're gonna enjoy making your car better because it will just drive nicer.
4: I, I, you know, you say your sales technique is crap. I don't think it is at all. I think I, I, I really think you've spoken to quite a lot of people here that probably wouldn't have even considered bringing their car to have it, to have it fettled with, to have it tuned because well, surely it's, well, it's come from the OEM. So
2: it's just the best it can be. The, The other thing I think about the whole OEM thing, right? So people say, you know, Porsche know best, BMW know best, this and that, they all know best. So there are loads of compromises to be made. Compromises within, uh, safety compromises within, within, um, uh, like drivability on the road versus so you can have a car that drives terrible through town over tram lines and is a bit all over the place. And that does, uh, like uses tires twice as quick, but actually everywhere else on a motorway feels amazing on a country road feels amazing. Everywhere feels amazing, but the manufacturer won't make a car that then when you jump in and drive out the dealership feels horrendous mm-hmm. and they won't make a car that compared to every other car on the market does half has half the tire life. Um, Uh, I often wonder on on the GT cars that come with like adjustable aero flaps and bits. I wonder if actually they come with that because the more aggressive setting puts it into like some kind of insane emissions level and actually putting some little plastic bits that you change on the car makes it fall into a much better category for emissions or something. I wonder how much of it is actually, well, this is road and this is track and how much of it is just, yeah, we can't really sell a car that does like, 10% Ten percent worse fuel economy. Can we just tweak it somewhere to make it better? Yeah, so true. Because I remember we did, we did a really cool thing. So with with our friend with John John and my friend Al, I did uh, the the first Bugatti Chiron non Bugatti drive video with uh, Jethro Bovington. So Al filmed it, and I was there helping, doing some camera car driving, and 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 helping do drone stuff and bits and bobs, and. Uh, Loris, their test driver, we were just chatting to him. So he was test driver for EB110. He was test driver for uh, Zonda and Huayra, uh, test driver for, um, I don't remember. He listed off like a whole load Exciting of... Exciting. Yeah, it's really hypercar cool stuff. Hypercar yeah. And he was saying, so at that time, it was the Chiron had Cup 2s, it had a wider front tyre and a narrower rear tyre than a Veyron. And he was saying basically that from the top, the Audi mentality when the the Veyron came out was safety, 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 and pull it back for uh, pull back the safety for performance until we get to the edge of the performance we want, and that was the that was the ethos across every car in on on brand, and you actually kind of see it if you look at all the Veyron era VAG products. Most of them are pretty like squidgy and safe, and and you know like when when. I mean, this is earlier than that, but when like Mark IV and Mark, Mark V Golf GTIs came out, the earlier ones were like Aurora car that was a more 205 GTI type car. And the later mm-hmm. ones were more like a normal product that had some performance added. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see the safety. And then when Chiron came out, the mentality was performance, 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 and make it safe <laughs> so that it doesn't, so it meets the Audi, v, VW, Audi group, minimum, sure. Safety sort of standards. So. And you can literally see in the two products that the Veyron is a very fast car that sort of doesn't do anything else. That's his party trick. And the Chiron is actually a pretty cool driver's car. that's car drive. Insanely fast. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I went out on the road with Lawrence and, and, uh, he was like, "Oh, look how dynamic it is!" And we came out with corner and put his foot down, and had like a course to return of opposite lock, and then we did <laughs> I don't know what speed down this. French road. Uh, so yeah, it was cool. I was the second person, the second non Mugatti person to go in a Chiron. That, that's good uh, I, But it's, it's 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 the compromise thing. It's literally it's it's they've picked their compromises and chosen, like what 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 do we want to achieve? But. So, yeah, so there, that's the OE thing on on design front. And then also consider, if I ring up a car parts place right now to buy a genuine Saks damper for your BMW that's parked outside, I will be able to buy a genuine Saks damper for probably about 50 quid. So that means that that supplier, because the big chains will be making decent margin, they'll be making at least 40% markup on that. So now all of a sudden, let's call that, let's call it £30. Now consider that it's been shipped from manufacturer to distributor mm-hmm. and then shipped from distributor to country and then distri- shipped from that distributor to there. So there's probably like a tenner of transport in there at least mm-hmm. per item, maybe a five or something, so you know, like 20, 25 quid. Now consider that the manufacturer is going to be making... I'd have thought at least like hundred percent markup on it. They'd want to be right. So all of a sudden, your genuine Sachs damper for your modern BMW costs like ten pounds. Yeah, yeah. So if I go and sell you a six thousand pounds set of Moton dampers for your car, how much better do you think they are <laughs> than the ten pounds ones that it came with? Yeah. I mean, obviously that you know that's a bit man maths. Uh, and all the rest, but but what you know, c- things are built to make money. So, if a car is built to make money, um, it, you know, there's only so many things that you can pile tons of money into, so obviously, there's going to be compromise. Like, yeah, of course, the, the Porsche engineers know best, that's why they win at racing, where money doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't necessarily mean that absolutely everything on the car will be the absolute best that money can buy. Otherwise, it would cost the same as, well, let's say, for example, you look at a Pagani Huayra, yeah. where you look at every nut and bolt in it that's been engraved with Pagani and manufactured by them, and they try on the, on the details to do everything. Well, look how much more expensive that car is. It might not be your cup of tea, but they are literally trying to make the car have the best everything. Yeah, of course. Um, and the cost is just completely different. So.
0: Yeah. yeah fascinating stuff one of the things i guess it would be be remiss if we didn't make this a bit of a talking topic because you've mentioned it a few times and that is of course the gr yaris yeah you have one here your own car which you've used as a development car and the string theory brand has almost become synonymous now certainly in the past year or two with gr yaris owners bringing them here that's a car that you've really (laughs) Honed in on and focused on over the past couple of years, not it developing your own uh, spring kits and setups, seats now and seat rails. What was the the reasoning behind that? What was it about the GI Yaris that jumped out and made you think, right? Maybe that's a car that we need to focus on and try and make better. To be
2: honest, it was customer interest in the car in the beginning. So I had a customer who was on the pre order list for it, and I I pretty much since starting this business have just been buried in my business. Mm. So I was like. You, you've ordered a
1: Yaris.
2: (laughs) what? Why why have you done that? And then he told me about it. And I just thought, this guy's insane. Like, it's some kind of like body-kitted Yaris. What's that going to be? Great. And then, and then uh, a customer came and brought one in, basically the day they came out. And I looked at it and I went, ah, yeah. Proper thing. This is quite cool. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I probably should have bought one of these because <laughs> they were immediately going for over, and and uh, and I realised that all my customers that were talking about and asking about them had GT threes, had GT fours, yep. had McLarens, had yep. other things. My friend with a six hundred LT, his friend has a six hundred LT with a seventy grand carbon fibre kit. His his daily is a GI Yaris. That. So I was like. The, the getting involved in GI Yaris was less about getting involved in G.R. Yaris and more about getting involved in all the other stuff that G.R. Yaris owners own uh, and it's kind of turned into actually being a bit of a G.R. Yaris specialist. Yeah. The original way I looked at the G.R. Yaris, to be honest, was, <laughs> I'm going to use an analogy with a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs>
3: nice. So... so uh, uh,
2: <laughs> I believe that uh, the the reason, one of the reasons cited that things like uh, smoking cannabis is so illegal and dangerous, is because the routes at which you source it. So if you engage, it's like a it's a gateway drug to a McLaren. Yeah, basically, it's a gateway drug. That's yeah. brilliant. But it is because yeah, yeah. because because the guys who own these cars, well, one, they're a lot cheaper than all their other cars. Yeah. Uh, two. They're like, they're like a Japanese tuner car. They're going to be a bit more engaged in modifying them. So, you know, the people who haven't thought about modifying their car, well, they've probably thought about it first with a Yaris. Yeah. They might be, you know, 65 years old and have owned every Porsche and Ferrari product ever and never modified any of them. They'll buy a Yaris and they'll be like, oh, why does that one's look, that guy's Yaris look cool? <laughs> yeah. I worked out that one of our customers with a Yaris if you, uh, he, he 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 came in to, to ask about buying a car and what you should buy, and he ended up buying a Yaris. And I reckon if you work out, like, net worth, that it's equivalent to me spending 100 quid or something. Yeah. You really? know? And and so, at that point, if, if you're... So, for anyone, spending 250 grand on a car, doesn't matter how wealthy you are, is a real amount of money. Yeah. For some people, 30 grand on a Toyota that's going to be worth 30 grand in two years' time because it's not depreciated at all is like me going, oh, oh, I've forgotten my wallet. Can you pay for the beers? Yeah. It's like so inconsequential. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I just thought from the beginning that this was going to be a cool car to play with because it was sort of engaging with all the right people. Everyone was saying how amazing it was. Uh, I felt that there were some things about it that could be tweaked and improved. Um. And it's the gateway car that engages you with with
0: all the other products. Perfect. And those tweaks, the bits that you you identify quite early on as things that could be improved. Again, that's just your that's your general kind of ethos, the way you think. But just for the listeners' benefits, in case they're unaware, so talk us through that list of so, what you've been able to refine. Uh, I'll ramble a bit first. <laughs>
2: Toyota gave the cars to a load of Japanese tuners before they were even released.
1: Okay, didn't I? So know that. it's
2: quite clear, yeah, like HKS and Cusco and oh, loads of people had cars before they came out. So when they came out, the instant they were launched, loads of Japanese tuners already had a product range for them. They were like, ah, now right. So if Toyota did that, do you not think that Toyota intended for the car to be played with a bit? Yeah, of course. In Japan, there's like uh, instead of having circuit pack and convenience pack or any of the other things they have four or five models one of which is a 1.5 litre hybrid front wheel drive that looks like a GR but isn't it's no like way. a CVT hybrid thing but they they sold ones that came with all the drivetrain stuff but with no sat-nav really normal seats no fancy wheels black p- unpainted brakes but it had all the all the mechanical bits. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then they sold none of the mechanical bits, none of the bits. And they sold a whole load of trims. It was basically more like just a a catalogue of every possible configuration. Whereas we get like, do you want a luxury one or do you want a sporty one? So in Japan, and this was the same with Subarus and Mitsubishis in the past. With Subarus and Mitsubishis, you could buy ones with steel wheels, with seats that were out of like a 1.6, with black plastic trims but they'd have the closed deck type ra engine with the mechanical diffs and with all stuff because they were being sold to do motorsport, so people were going to modify them from new and the yaris i think falls into that mindset a bit more
1: Mm.
2: so when you go and drive one as much as they are great they the seats in them are are, are, are good but they feel like an old Peugeot seat they're big foamy sort of squidgy seats they're really high in the car they've clearly had to tick some some like side impact legislation where so for like side impact tests it has to be that for every height range and every seat height and every adjustment point that you know the head is at a certain point in the window and all the rest and as a result uh, Mark Three Focus RS was like this as well you get some cars that have like really odd seating positions mm. Um, but they've definitely not spent the money there that seat is a cheap foamy squidgy seat Uh, the dampers and and the the setup they're good they're a little bit soft they're they're not very sharp and focused as an out of the box car they're a great road car but I feel they're a bit non-adjustable you know they get they get the job done I also don't think they've spent any real money on, on dampers on them I think I think that the springs and dampers on them are like okay and 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 they do the job but they're not like super ultra refined because again it's likely to be a part that if you're doing any form of motorsport or rallying or anything that <coughs> within the Japanese sort of tuner community you're going to take them off it's and the put right something right else on yeah, 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 yeah. straight away yeah. Uh, the exhaust systems on them are like it's like they breathe through a straw they definitely definitely meet um, legislation you put an exhaust on one you find 16 horsepower straight away no other mods just wow. bosh power. Yeah um but uh engine and gearbox are unreal uh uh, the drivetrain setup with the the clutch pack diff and the brakes like like the brakes on the car for a 1280 kilo car they they've got mega brakes you can literally take a stock car completely stock and go and batter it on track for 40 minutes straight and the brakes won't give up it probably will if you don't drive it you know I, I've had people say they have had brake fade. I've genuinely taken our car with our suspension and some upgraded tyres, otherwise standard, and done forty minutes without stopping at Donington, melted the rubber seals on the brakes, <laughs> but not had not had what I would call fade. You know, yeah. the pedal goes a bit longer and a bit bit more wooden. What factory car can do that? They don't you know, really do that. They, they, they've spent some money on this stuff. The The drivetrain in that car is incredible. The shell in the car is incredible. You you run wide and you, you run over a bit of kerb that you really don't want to be running over. And, you know, if you do that in a, an older hatchback, it's like smash, the car's shaking. The Yaris feels like a top-level GT Porsche product. It, it deals with it and carries on.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: So, like... I basically drove it and went, this is an amazing core product. But look at, that, look at 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 that. I'm pretty sure these are going to be played with a lot. Like There's loads of stuff. Because people immediately wanted seats, immediately wanted them to feel a bit sharper, immediately wanted to make them a bit faster. Um, it's, it's an interesting one, because I've always been a real fan of the, the last three generations of Civic Type R, mm-hmm. turbo ones. Yeah, I think they're amazing cars. They're unbelievable. Every time I get... To the point of banging on about one, uh, one of my mates will tell go, well, why didn't you buy one and run the business based on those cars instead of the, the Yaris? And, and my answer would always be, yeah, because they're pretty much perfect out of the box. They're pretty stiff and pointy and they've got really supportive seats and and they're, they're like over 300 horsepower and, and there's probably not a lot that I'd turn around and say to do. Whereas the Yaris, I think, is is quite a it's an interesting product because it kind of is the homologation rally car thing like everyone bangs on about it but the stock car is amazing to send down a road but in terms of sort of connected feel it's not that special Mm -hmm. to me i think it needs some tweaks to make it feel good doesn't make it go faster necessarily but it feels good so that tied into my business making Mm -hmm. cars feel good so there you Excellent. go, that's why. And now, and now we do, like you say, we do uh, our own developed spring kit. We're doing uh, uh, damper kits that are basically being... So obviously, uh, damper manufacturers have their own, their own products, but we're refining it to try and make it suitable for what I think is where the direction of the car should go and our experience with what customers want. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got our own seat kits that kind of look like they what the car should have come with. You know, it's like Club Sport. We're doing trimming steering wheels and gear knobs and silly little things. Basically, it's the whole Porsche GT car and Porsche Club Sport thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where those cars are not ruined. If you went and picked someone up in your GT3 and and had to drive two hours, no one, some people think it's really extreme. Most people would just be like, well, this is very sporty, but it's fine, it's a car. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you went and got them in your... Uh, uh, right, so if you went and picked them up in your R34 GTR Skyline that had some Recaro pole positions in it <laughs> yeah. and was tuned to 500 horsepower <laughs> and had some stiff suspension and loud exhaust and all the rest, uh, it would be, let le- uh, maybe not an exact car, but you could have a modified Japanese tuner car that once upon a time you could build for like 25 grand that would literally destroy a standard Porsche GT car product mm-hmm. on track. However, if you took the Porsche home, drove it around and drove to South France and went to the shops, did this, did that, it's still a car. that just works like a car. The modified tuner car would generally be completely ruined for all that stuff and, and would break all the time and be awful. So like the Yaris stuff we're trying to do is I'm leaving the completely ruin the car, break the car, make it awful. Can leave that to other people. I want to make the, the club sport Yaris for yeah, people.
4: Basically making a better road car.
2: Yeah, or, or not even that. Okay, a, a worse road car in some situations, sure. but a better performance car for a particular use. Because like a, a 911 GTS is a better road car than a 911 GT3. Sure. If you go and point a 911 GT3 at Welsh Country Road and just go, it'll be all over the place because you'll run out of travel, you'll be smashing your 20, 21-inch wheels through potholes... Uh, you take a base 911T on the smallest wheels with the softest dampers, with the squidgy seats, and you point it down a country road, it'll go down the road better. 100%. Yeah. But that's where it's the trying to build a, a, a different compromise uh, and, and trying to stay sensible within that compromise, trying not to just just literally go, let's make it faster. Let's just do everything faster. Because,
0: uh, yeah, that's, I think, an easy... Easier thing to do. So the uh, the advertising strap line for the string theory Gi GR Yaris is, it's the car that you'll be most comfortable in whilst chasing Jason Plato. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's as simple as that, isn't it? I think that is it. Yeah, Can we the, put that on a bumper sticker? For the three seconds you're chasing
1: him, it before voice is gone. <laughs> yeah, <40 seconds. laughs>
0: So it am So, I mean, I'm sure that there were going to be loads of our listeners that have really enjoyed this conversation, and perhaps there will be a handful that want to explore their possibilities if they've got a car that they think okay, maybe I have always wondered if this could be slightly better perhaps they've got to that point of their journey in the car they've done some track days with it or just some lovely long road trips are people able to just pick up the phone book a car in come down get an opinion yeah of course so uh,
2: go on the website stringtheorygarage.com our phone number's on there Uh, you can email us on there you can find us on Google give us a ring and come over whatever it's also worth pointing out that because we deal with all kinds of specialist vehicles, we do also offer servicing and maintenance yeah, yeah. and all the normal kind of stuff. Um, I think sometimes people struggle with where to take their car that they trust to get work done. And we're totally happy to do absolutely everything. Uh, it's not all suspension, go faster, all the rest. It's also silly things like, so you might have the best, the best, garage in the world around the corner from you but they might not know what the OE manufacturer for a suspension arm for your 996 is yeah. and I do <laughs>
1: uh,
2: and that kind of extends to almost everything because I'm a proper saddo and I obsess <laughs> over everything if someone asks me a question about it so um, I think I think its great you've been able to monetize your sadness. Really, I think that's a great. <laughs> yeah, thing the only model. problem is that I am too nice, and therefore I'm not monetizing you that well. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, no, working. Which, <laughs> which is something
0: myself and a lot of our mutual friends often keep poking you in the ribs for. Okay, do up your prices. And yeah, well, you know, but yeah, the, the the mantra behind how and why you do what you do is. It speaks because of, Yeah, absolutely. It speaks volumes because you are genuinely brilliant at it. Um, I mean, I think every car I've ever owned in the time that we've known each other has been in a workshop under your control at some point yeah, to I mean... tweak or make better or just improve. Or, or you've taken a car out on a, a, a track day for a couple of laps and gone, that could be better. And you'll tweak something and it'll be infinitely better. And it'd be something just not even on my radar. You know, I just wouldn't even consider that that would be an option. Um, or the amount of times I've come into you with a car with, with the adjustable coilovers, going, gone, I think it's too stiff, we need to put softer springs and you'll just go click, 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 drive it now. Okay, yeah, fine. And, and it's
2: fixed. It, it, it is literally, back to the beginning of this conversation, Yeah. it is uh, five-year-old me taking apart my new toy yeah. to see how it works and when I was five not being able to put it back together again. <laughs> uh, it, it's the same with everything. Yeah. Like... I'm that annoying guy when you get in the passenger seat of a car and go to South France, John, <laughs> who who starts trying to take apart the car to see how various bits of it work, like in the Citroën, John. And how does
0: a Citroën C5 estate steering
2: wheel turn? Well, I know how it works now because I bought a secondhand, to, second-hand one off eBay. To, just to, to take it apart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There will be... It's
0: got a gear drive in it. It's ridiculous. I told you it had a gear drive in it. Yeah, I, don't, my I don't think it would be. That's that's... I'm so glad I got that one. <laughs> but yes, before we digress into a world of uh, ridiculous uh, nonsense, uh, it is worth saying a, a massive thank you, to ben for joining us for this week's podcast. For you, dear thank listener, you. go and check the, uh, go check the social feeds as well, because there's a great overview of daily posts of the kind of stuff that's rolling in and out of the workshop here to come for everything from suspension setups to just little bits and odds and sods and jobs that are done um follow and, us on instagram uh, we do yeah. we
2: actually do some quite cool stuff i try and i try and get uh, either myself or the guys to post up when we do cool stuff absolutely um, and we do get some really oddball things through the door and some boring things but we'll try not to put those on
0: <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to see the light of day. So if the customer brings their car down, it doesn't make it to the Instagram feed. You know you don't. Have a cool car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hate you. Basically, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. No, it's been but
4: it's it's been brilliant. It's been a really really interesting chat um, for for so many reasons, and I really genuinely feel like it's probably opened up a lot of other people's minds to um, you know uh, customising their car a bit more. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I
2: think I think yeah, people are. Some people are all in for modifying their cars. Uh, And I think perhaps we're more aimed at the people who are a bit more scared of it. Basically saying, yeah, I've done the bad thing. Yeah. And I know how not to do the bad (laughs) thing. Let's not do the bad thing. Here's the
0: knowledge. I've done the 150 quid coilovers. They're bad. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, If you want to find the details, everything from website to show notes, if you want to find all the details for things like the uh, website details, the social media feeds, everything else, all the contact details, just scroll down in the show notes to this episode and you'll see everything written down there with links through to the website and the social feeds as well. Cool. Um, I've no doubt, Ben, um, I say this to almost every single one of our guests, I've no doubt that our paths will cross again in the near future. Well, ours will because we basically see each other every other day.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but uh, yes, perhaps on a, uh, if we can pr- come up with a clever production idea for a um a podcast in the future that requires some technical expertise and brains for a bit of around the table then i feel that uh, we'll probably call on you for for that it could be a, a fun little cool. experiment yeah to be heard. sounds good get someone else in and we can have an argument that's a good idea <laughs> that, like that the other geometry company we won't mention any names we'll have a fight it- yeah, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily mean have a fight. So. <laughs> Just want to tell them why they're wrong. Indeed, yeah. 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 It probably wouldn't work well on a,
4: you know, an audio-based format either. <laughs> I'll audio describe good. the fight. Depends
0: on how good the fight is, really, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? You know, yeah. Perfect. Well, um, to you, dear listener, as ever, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of this week's podcast don't forget if you've enjoyed the show and you want to show your appreciation you can do so by leaving us a lovely review on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening if you're on spotify you can do that crazy thing where you somehow leave comments and replies to each episode which i frequently forget to check Uh, but when i do they're all really (laughs) lovely so thank you to everyone that has taken the time to do so Uh, don't forget you can see everything that we do at driven.site and of course our social feeds at driven chat for now i'll say thank you very much for listening miles thank you very much as ever for bringing um, your expertise to this episode ben thank you very much for your time and for having us in your lovely workshop and uh, to you dear listener thank you we'll speak to you again in a week
1: the driven chat podcast powered by paramex digital